but you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And you shall be my witnesses, both in Jerusalem and in Judea and Samaria, and even to the remotest part of the earth. The earth. Thank you for listening to the weekly podcast of Community Bible Church in Savannah, Georgia. We hope you'll enjoy this sermon from the series, Witnesses, a study on the book of Acts. He is the stone which was rejected by you, the builders, but which became the very cornerstone. And there is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven that has been given among men by which we must be saved. Before we jump into our text today... um... Many of you know that this Sunday, today, is uh, Sanctity of Life Sunday. Uh, we celebrate, remember in the church, not celebrate as much as we remember. 32 years ago, um, Roe v. Wade uh, took place where our government officially sanctioned uh, the killing of children. And, um, and I know this is, you know, for many of you, you know, you're, maybe you're new Christians, maybe you're new to the church. This sounds like a political issue. I promise you it is not a political issue. I could care less what political party you are. But the uh, abortion issue is not an issue of politics. It is an issue of theology. Here's what I mean. Your, your value is based on the fact that you are made, you are created in the image of God. Male and female, he created them. In the image of God, he created them. It has nothing to do with age, ability, how old you are, you, your ability to take care of yourself, any of this. It has nothing to do with that. Everything has to do with the fact that you are made in the image of God, and thus you have inherent value. The blood of Christ was shed for you. And so this is, take this out of the political realm. And I know all this answer, I know all the questions, I've, I've done all the study and all the research. I know that some of your minds are thinking, yeah, but what about in the case of this, and what about in the case of that, and what about in this? And the, the overwhelming majority of abortions that take place in America and in the world have nothing to do with rape, incest, or anything, has everything to do with convenience. It has everything to do with, I'm not ready for this. I didn't ask for this. We don't want this. It's the ultimate of exaltation of self. And I know, again, I know that, well, it's a woman's right, it's her issue, it's her body. It is her body, and then there is another body, another human being living inside of her. And just because it is inside of her does not mean it is part of her. This baby at eight weeks, at eight weeks now, has its own beating heart. All its organs, major organs are functioning, its brain, its nervous system. It can feel pain, y'all. Eight weeks old, it feels pain. Right? Its lungs are functioning. Its, its kidneys are flushing fluid. It has its own fingerprint. It has a distinct DNA and genetic code from the mother, a distinct blood type from the mother. It's a person. And we've come to a place as a, as a, that we're so blinded by that. Well, I can do what I want with my body. No, you can't. You can't. Go down to Barbarito's after church, strip down naked, climb on the table, and sing the Hallelujah Chorus. What's going to happen? You're going to jail. And don't tell them your pastor told you to do it because I didn't. Okay? I'm just saying, you know that you can't do what you want with your body. The government says what we can do and what we can't do in places. And it's good that they did. And so it's an illogical argument because people are always telling us what we can do and what we can't do. And they so they should. So understand, church, the reason I even bring this up is because it is a theological issue. And if we don't stand up for truth, who will? If the church loses its saltiness, then, then, then what use are we? And so I put politics aside. It's nothing to do with that. I don't care which party you vote for. But if you will not stand for life, Jesus says, the chil- let the children come to me, then, then we have lost our saltiness. And the church needs to be praying about this, be engaged in this. This is why as a church we support all the local missions that, that deal with this, whether it's the Covenant Care Center, whether it's the Living Vine, whether it's... Uh, uh, Adoption agencies that we support them, and we will continue to do so. If you want to get engaged with them, you're welcome to do it. You can ask us, and we'll help you do that. But we want to pray for that this morning. And understand this: two things. Number one, if you're if you're a gal and you're here and you have a boyfriend, and and this is an issue, and he's pressuring you in this way, do not listen to him. You come talk to us. We got a staff. We'll take care of him. Okay. We do things after dark that we don't tell anybody, <laughs> okay? okay and, and most of us are ex-military or carry, let me just tell you that, okay? So we were all right. But understand that don't let him put you in a position that will change your life. 
And secondly, if this is you, and it's a lot of you ladies and guys, you need to understand that we are here because Jesus of Nazareth died for sin and rose again, and there is nothing that his death doesn't pay for. And if this is your past, you do not have to bear the guilt of this for the rest of your life. David killed people, had an affair, went to heaven. Paul killed Stephen, went to heaven. This is not, Jesus' blood covers all sins, and so understand that. That's why we're here. But we need to do something as a church, and we need to stand for truth, uh, and it's important. So let me pray about that, and we'll pray for our text, and we'll jump in. Lord, you are gracious to us. You are good. Before uh, we were in our mother's womb, you knew us. You knew our secret parts. You knew our inner being, and you called us. Before the foundation of the world, you chose us. How, how phenomenal is that? We pray for our country. It's lost its way. Open its eyes. Let the church of Jesus Christ all denominations that proclaim Christ be light to a lost world. Don't let us lose our saltiness, Lord. Let, don't let CBC lose its saltiness. As we open your word, it's a great text. I'm excited about it, Lord. It's long. I, I need strength to, to be in my time constraints and, uh, and to still speak truth. I, I need your spirit. I'm a, a broken vessel. I am an earthen vessel, but I want the surpassing glory to be shown that it's from you and not from me. So please help me so that your church will be on mission Thank you for those in this room. Thank you for the overflow room and, and the ability to put a few more people. Father, help our building to go up quickly. We just want to all be in the same room together again soon. And so please help that to go well and quickly so we can do that in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, go ahead and turn to Acts chapter 15. If you don't have a Bible, there should be one in front of you. You can grab that. As you, if, you've probably, if you've been here the last couple of weeks, you notice we're moving a little faster in the second half of the book. And the reason why is it, it, it kind of gets a little repetitive in the second half, the first part is very foundational and we establish things. Second part gets repetitive. And so what we're going to see for the, really until the, the end of the, chapter, the book is Paul goes into a new city. Paul gets arrested. Paul gets beaten. Paul goes away to the next city where he's arrested, beaten, and goes to the next city where he's arrested and beaten. That's kind of the next, you know, kind of 10 years of his life. All right, so we've kind of taken bigger chunks. This is why in your bulletin, if you got one, it says what next week's text is so that you will read ahead. Because next week, we're going to cover two chapters. I cannot read every single verse. So the goal is for you to read ahead, read it two or three times so that when we come to the text, you're already, oh, I got, I got this. I know where we're going. Boom. Okay? So read ahead. Chapter 17 and 18 next week. But this week, the end of 15. Jesus said, you're going to be my witnesses, Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, ends of the earth. That was in 30 AD. We're now in 49 AD. Last week, we dealt with bacon and circumcision. All right? If you weren't here, listen to it on MP3. But now... Paul and, and Barnabas, they're, they're, they're ready to go to the next place. And I, I was, you know, I reflect on the 80s way too much, y'all. I'm back at like I'm, I'm Uncle Rico in Napoleon Dynamite or something. But, um, so I, but I love my 80s movie. I love my 80s music. And I was reflecting on one of my favorite movies from my, from my childhood this week. And it, I was just really bothered by it. It's a movie called The NeverEnding Story. All right, have you, ever, have you seen this movie? Okay, if you haven't, I'm going to spoil the movie for you because it's been like 30 years, so you should have seen it by now anyway. <laughs> but it's about this kid. His name's Bastian. He's like 11 years old, and he loves to read, and he gets this book called The Never-Ending Story, and what he doesn't realize is as he's reading this book is that he is actually in the story. It's like a magic book or something. I don't know. But he's reading the book, and he is actually part of the story, but he doesn't realize it. He's like, in fact, there's little hints throughout the whole movie that he's in the book, but he doesn't get it. He's kind of like, no, it's just a book. And then when you come to the end of the movie, all right, and it's kind of the climax, he's got to realize that he is part of the story. And all he has to do to be part of the story is he's got he's to rename the princess, all right? He's just got to give her a new name. That's it. It's pretty simple, right? But she's like, you know, it's kind of going back and forth. The princess is like, Bastion, Bastion, save us, please help us, Bastion. And he's like, it's, it's not real. It's just a story. It's not real. It's just a book. It's just like, Bastion, save us, please. Call my name. And he's like, no, yes, no. And it goes back and forth, right? And finally, Bastion realizes, okay, I, I'm in the story. I get it. I'm, I, and he's like, I'm going to do it. I'm going to do it. I'm like, don't tell me you're going to do it. Just go do it. So he runs up and he opens the window. And at the, the climax of the movie, he's going he's gonna to call out her name. And he yells like, Lightning Runner. And you can't understand a word he says. And I'm, I 
rewound that thing, and I've gone back and forth. And for the life of me, I could not figure out what name he named the princess, which is why God created Google. <laughs> so this week, I Googled it, and, and this has nothing to do with the illustration, but in case you were like me struggling for, this, for the last 30 years, he named the princess Moonchild. And I went back and watched it with my kids yesterday or Friday night. And sure enough, I'm like, yeah, I guess that says Moonchild, which is the weirdest name ever. Like, why not Jennifer or Sally or something, but Moonchild? I mean, that's another point. But here's the point. I'm thinking about that story and the book of Acts. And you're like, how does this relate? Let me explain. Some of us are reading the story, and you don't realize that you're in the story. And you're reading it just like Bastion, as if it says, oh, this is great, Paul, Peter, Barnabas, blah. But you don't realize you're part of this deal, that God is moving, that you are one of his witnesses. And yeah, we're not in Acts chapter 20, but we might be in chapter 273 by now, but you are part of what God is doing, and you need to call my name this morning and get in the game, some of you. Because if I say, how many of y'all are in ministry, every single one of your hands should go up. We got 11, 1,200 people in this building on a Sunday morning now. All 1,100 hands should go in the air. I'm in ministry because you're in the work of the ministry. And some of you aren't. And I'm not talking about full-time paid, but you need to learn this morning to call my name. And so we're going to talk about that. What does that look like? Because we said it, we're his ambassadors. And you're like, well, that's kind of scary. I don't know what that looks like. That's why we have our text. So let's jump in. And we'll, and we'll go uh, in chapter 15, verse 36. And after some days, Paul said to Barnabas, let's return and visit the brothers in every city where we proclaim the word of the Lord and see how they are. Paul goes to Barnabas, road trip. And Barnabas is like, yes, I'll bring the Cheetos. Let's go. But there's a problem. Barnabas wanted to take with them John called Mark. Remember, he quit. But Paul thought it best not to take with them the one who withdrew from them in Pamphylia and had not gone with them to the work. And there arose a sharp disagreement. They're fighting so that they separated from each other. Barnabas took Mark with him and sailed to Cyprus. Paul chose Silas and departed, having been commended by the brothers to the grace of the Lord. And he went through Syria and Sicilia, strengthening the churches. You have the two guys who are the most godly, gracious, good dudes we've seen so far, and they cannot get along over this issue. See, if I'm Luke, I leave that out, right? I'm just like, Paul went one way, he decided he went to go north, and you know, Barnabas liked the south, so he went south. I leave this portion out because it's embarrassing, right? Paul and Barnabas can't get along. Are you kidding me? But here's the beauty of scripture. It is honest about the fact that we are broken. And if the best of us have issues, then I am, I'm okay, the fact that I have issues. And here's what some of you have to realize this morning. Your past, whatever it may be, is not an excuse. Your divorce, your rebellion, your fill in the blank is not an excuse to not be in the story because God uses broken people. That's the point. We have godly, godly marriages in this room who fight. They fought this morning. Who took the dog out? Who got the kids? Where's the minivan keys? Where's this? Where's my shirt? It's not iron. Why did you do this? Come on, hurry up. You're late. We're not going to get a seat. We're going to be in the overflow room. See, y'all did it. I told y'all. <laughs> right? Godly marriages that have issues. We have people with, with all sorts of struggles and brokenness, kids who have rebelled. We have people with body image issues. Some of, them, some of them think way too highly of themselves. Others think way too lowly. We have individuals who struggle with same-sex attraction in this church. It's a real issue. It's a struggle with them. We got all sorts of brokenness and background and issues and struggles, and none of them are an excuse because it's not the perfection of the messengers that matter. It's the perfection of the message of the gospel. And I'm not saying obedience doesn't matter. But if the best of the best of us, the most gracious and mature in the New Testament, have struggles, if it was up to us, what does that show us? We're hopeless. Which is why Paul later is going to say, we have this treasure, the gospel, in earthen vessels to show that the surpassing power is not from us but from God. 
He said, you don't put a treasure in an earthen vessel unless you're God because you want to show that the, it's not about the earthen vessel, but it's just broken. It's about the treasure. That's what Paul says, and that's who we are. Weak, losing our temper, proud, hoping in the wrong things. And what you need to get this morning, church, is that I don't care where you've been. The greatest men and women in the Bible were broken. David, adulterer, murderer. Noah got drunk. Moses got angry. Solomon had like way too many wives. Peter rejected and, and denied Jesus. Paul killed one of the earliest, best guys in the churches. Go down the line. They all were broken, and that's not an excuse because that's what God does. He uses broken people. Grace enables us to call my name. And if you're here this morning, let me just say this, and I'll, and I'll be very frank. If you are here, and you're like, well, I just, you know, I kind of, I, I just want to come to church, get the bulletin, sing a song, and leave. I'm not really, in, I don't really want to be involved in ministry. I don't want to really do anything. This is not your church, then. Because look around. There are way too many people sitting in the overflow right now that want to be in a green chair in here. And we don't have space for people to play games. If you want to be engaged and involved in making Jesus' name known, this is your place. It doesn't matter what you've done or where you've been. But if you're like, eh, I'm just going to kind of do the Southern Christianity thing, please, this is, this is not the place for you because that's not what we're about. We're about every member on mission wherever God has you. That's what we're about. And it's not that he's looking for perfect people. He's looking for people to stand on his perfect grace, which heals, like Mark. Okay, I'm sure this was devastating to Mark. Paul doesn't want me. But in the end, he wants him. In fact, at the end of Colossians, when he's in his first imprisonment in Rome, what does it say? Mark is with me. He didn't, he didn't betray him this time. And at the very, very end in 2 Timothy, when he's about to be beheaded, he says, bring Mark. He's useful. All right? And so no one is beyond grace. Brokenness is not an excuse. So what happens? Here's a map of where they go. Paul and Barnabas, I mean, Barnabas and Mark are going to go to Cyprus, and we don't hear from Barnabas ever again in the New Testament, which is interesting. Paul and Silas are going to go north. They don't get on a boat like last time. Last time they went on a boat, went around this way. This time they're like, eh, let's go on the land. We don't like boats. So they went back to Galatia in this area through Syria and through that, through that area, okay? So that's what happens in verse 1. Paul came to Derby and Lystra. A disciple was there named Timothy, a son of a Jewish woman who was a believer, but his father was a Greek. And he was well spoken of by the brothers at Lystra and Iconium. There's this great guy in, 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 in Iconium and in, in Lystra and Derby. His name's Timothy. He's a young buck. Paul's like, man, this guy's got potential. I want to do ministry with him. And he's got family issues. His mama and his grandmama are believers, we find out. But his daddy is not. He's a, in fact, he's a Gentile. He's a Greek. Which, you know, if I had a dollar for every one of y'all in this church, that's your story. One side of the family Christian, other side not. Right? So he, he gets it. But here's, here's the problem. Paul wants to take him with him. He wants to disciple him. He's like, man, I want you to go with me. I want you to go on these missionary journeys. He's like, I'm in. I'm like, yeah, it's awesome. Here's the thing. We need to do some surgery in the back before you go because he's not circumcised. And I'm sure Timothy's like, say what? What you talking about, Willis? <laughs> right? But he does it. Paul wanted Timothy to accompany him. He took him and he circumcised him because the Jews were in those places. Now, why would he do this? We just got a whole chapter on how circumcision didn't matter. So why? And Paul was the biggest opponent of it. So why now does he take this young buck and he circumcised him? Because of the Jews who were in these places. Because Paul knows when he brings his young buck in here and they see him as a Gentile, they're not going to listen to anything he's got to say. He's going to be a distraction. So he removes both literally and figuratively the distraction. And circumcises them. So, because the Gentiles could care less if you're Jewish or not. They don't, they don't care, but the Jews do. And here's the point. And we're going to deal a little bit more with this next week when we talk about Mars Hill and him going to Athens and stuff. But here, here's the thing. Paul knows his audience. He knows where he's going. He knows who he's talking to. And when you are out there, the way you call my name is know who you're talking to. Know your context. Know your audience. Because you have credibility that, that I don't have and that no one else has in your context. Who military guy is the best person to reach Hunter, uh, Hunter Army Infield, Fort Stewart, wherever you go? Who is it? Is it me? I, I don't know. 
I haven't PT'd in years. I don't understand how you guys have all different language. It's all initials, PT, MRE, PFC, BBB, whatever. You know, you got all these languages. We don't understand what you're saying, by the way, when you say, I went on a PK and did the BRD or, I mean, we just don't know it. But you do. You have a language. You have a context. You understand what it is to be deployed, what it is to leave your wife for three, four, five, six, 12 months with kids behind. You get that. Military wives, you have a context that nobody else gets, right? And you have an in in that, in that place that I don't have and that no one else has. Mr. Engineer guy, who's the best to reach other Mr. Engineer guys? Me, who skipped all the science and hard math in college? I was rolling out the kickball? Or you? You, have a, you know how they think. You know how engineers think. You know, you know what they're doing. You, you know how they logically work through stuff, right? College kids, high school kids. What about your context? They ain't going to listen to me. I drive a minivan, all right? I'm like, I'm so far removed from that context. I wasn't even cool when I was in college, let alone now. But you know what they're wrestling with. You know what they're going through. That's where God has you. And it's all of it, single mom, gym rat, golf guy, you're in part of that alumni association, whatever it is, that's your context where God has put you. And what we need to get, church, is this, is that God has put you there, not just so you can make a dollar or two. It's more than just a job. It is more than just a degree that you are getting, a diploma. It is more than just a neighborhood you live in where you can plant pretty flowers, it is a place where you make known Jesus Christ. That, and, and you have a context that no one else does. And the, church, the mistake we always make as a church is we expect everyone to come to us on our terms. No, we go to them and meet them where they're at. Understanding and studying your culture, knowing what the language is. That's, it's, and we're going to talk about it again next week. But you have, you have some of you 20, 30, 40, 50 people you interact with on a daily basis that know exactly what you're going through. And you do too. And you got to know your context. And, and this is the way we have to start thinking if every person's on mission, if we're in the story and actually part of it and not just reading it. Because if, if you don't, if you're not thinking about what God is doing and where you're at, then you're just reading it. Oh, isn't this nice? Isn't Paul good? But you're not in the story. And you need to get in the story. Recognize where, where God has you. And so they do. And so he goes through the region, Fergia. In Galatia, having been forbidden by the Holy Spirit to speak the word in Asia, and when they come to Mycenae, they attempt to go to Bithynia, but the Spirit of Jesus did not allow them there either. They got this interesting thing where, where Paul, he wants to go into this area, and God says, nope, kicks him out. So he goes, he goes to here, and he wants to go into Bithynia, and Paul says, nope, good left. And it's kind of like bumper cars or something. And you're like, well, how did he know that God didn't, well, I don't know. Well, why didn't God let him go? Doesn't say. He just says the spirit of Jesus didn't let him go. He's directing them to a specific area. And how that happened, I don't know. But here's what I do know. If God is directing and God is moving and God is kind of playing bumper cars and getting them where they go, then they must have been seeking. They must have been searching. God, where do you want us to go? Left or right? Split in the road. Left. I mean, there's, no, there's no map here. There's no like we're going. So, so God is leading because they are seeking. They're searching, right? And here's my fear for some of us. You're living an aimless life, just kind of floating, show up at work, show up at class, show up at this, show up at that, show up at soccer, and there's no aim, there's no purpose, there's no goal, because you're not calling my name literally. You're not, you're not seeking. You're not asking. You're, you're not asking for direction, right? And that's that's point three. That's the third encouragement. That's the third thing. You want to get in the story? You start praying. Because I'm just telling you, nothing great happens apart from prayer. No fruit, no impact, no nothing. I don't care how smart you are. I don't care what kind of platform you have. Nothing fruitful comes without prayer. And that's the model you see in the book of Acts. Pray, go, pray, go, pray, go, pray. And, and look, we could talk a lot about this. Let me just ask two questions. Number one, when is the last time you simply prayed for a lost person in your life? And if you're like, huh, I don't know. And here's a harder question. 
if all your prayers, let's assume every single one of your prayers for the last six months was answered yes. Everything you asked for. Aunt Bertha's sore toe, healed. Traveling mercies, healed. That we'd win our game, healed. We won the soccer championship. Everything you prayed for in the last six months, if it was answered positively by God, would the kingdom of God look any different? Or would you just be richer and thinner with Aunt Bertha's toe healed? Look, it's a revealing question because it sees what you're praying about, right? What are you asking for? What are you seeking? Here's the prayer I want our church to just be part of who we are. Ready? It's Paul's prayer as he's in jail. And, and Mark, by the way, is sitting right by him, he says. He says, pray for us that God may open to us a door for the word. Now, if anyone can open a door for the word on his own, it's Paul. I mean, he opens his doors all the time. But he says, I, I can't do it on my own. Pray for an open door for the word to declare the mystery of Christ. And then he later in the verse is going to say, and pray that I speak it the way I ought to. Here's what I want us to do as a church. Just start praying that God would open doors where you're at, in your context, with your squad, your platoon, the project, that he would just open opportunities for you to serve people, love people, and if, and if he gives you that opportunity, open your mouth. And you're just like, I don't know what to say. We'll come with that later. Just pray it. Do you think God's going to answer that prayer? I mean, think about it. You pray to win the lottery, pretty sure you're not going to win. And if you do, tithe. All right? Okay? Just tell you. Just keeping, you know, got a building back there, right? <laughs> but do you think he's going to answer a prayer? I want to I, I live my life so that people see you, Lord Jesus. I, I want them to, to, see, to hear the gospel. I want them to, I want them to know you about you. You think God's going to say, no, I'm just not into that right now. Too busy kind of directing the lottery winners. <laughs> I don't want people to go to heaven. I don't want people to experience forgiveness of sins. Heck, I don't want them to know about my love and my grace. No, I'm not going to let them know. You think he's going to ask, you think he's going to say that? Or is he going to say, yes, I'm going to put people in your path at Publix, at Forsyth, in your class that come up to you, that ask questions, that you're going to have opportunities. Yes. And so as a church, just write one name down, two in your bulletin, on your Bible. I'm going to pray for this person. How can I serve this person? How can I love this person? How can I get a chance to share with this person? And we'll see if 1,100 people are doing that, and God only answers 10%, that means 100 people this week are going to hear about Christ in some way. Maybe they're just going to see Christ lived out, but in some way. That's pretty. I've seen what God did with 120 people. We're talking about 1,100 people, 1,200 people, all right, in a city of 250,000. So we need to be a church that does that. We're broken, yes, but we call on his name, and God uses us in a context where we're at. And so he does. He leads them to Macedonia. He has a vision of a man in Macedonia saying, come over here. And so they go. They, they jump to Macedonia, seeing that God had called them to preach. And here's where they go. So they're here in Troas. They're getting on the ship, and they're going to this little, little city right here, and then they're going to walk to Philippi, a very famous city, Philippi, book of Philippians is written to the church there. So verse 11 so setting sail from Troas, we made a direct voyage to Samothrace and the following day to Neapolis, and from there to Philippi, which is the leading city of the district of Macedonia in a Roman colony. It's a big city in those days, a lot of military there. It's a very Roman city. It had a big victory for the Roman Empire in like 40-something AD or whatever. Um, and so it's just a patriotic city for that culture. It's like Boston, so the equivalent. Very Gentile, very Roman, not a lot of Jews there, as we're going to see. And so they go there, and they preached and remained in that city for days. In verse 13, and on the Sabbath day, we, oh, I want to jump to that. On the Sabbath day, we, and notice the we there. What does that show me? Shows me, guess who joined the club? Luke. They picked Luke up somewhere. We don't know where, but now Luke's involved, right? He says, we. We're going to see him kind of come in and out. We here, they there, but he's right now on the ship with them. He gets out with them. He's in Philippi. So we went outside the gate to the riverside where we supposed there was a place of prayer, and we sat down and spoke to the women who had come together. This is interesting because for a city to have a synagogue, they needed to have 10 Jewish men. This city is so un-Jewish, there's not even 10 Jewish men. So what you have is a bunch of ladies doing a Beth Moore Bible study down by the river. In a van down by the river. Right? <laughs> right? Now, 
But that, that's the only kind of Jewish community there is. There's a bunch of ladies doing Beth Moore down by the river in a van. And so Paul goes down there, and one who heard was a woman named Lydia from the city of Thyatira, a seller of purple goods, who was a worshiper of God. Here's this Gentile woman. Her name's Lydia. She is a wealthy gal. Picture power business suit gal. Boop. Right? Firm face. Come on. She's a seller of purple goods. Purple was an expensive product. There was a root in that area. They'd crush it. They'd boil it. They'd do whatever they do to get this dye. And they would make purple goods. And it was expensive. And so she's, she's got some dough. And she's a single lady. She's either widowed or single. But we don't hear about a husband. But she is a wor- somehow believes in the, in the Jewish God. And Paul explains to her the gospel. And notice the Lord opened her heart. Who opened? The Lord. Who was drawing? The Lord. Who's the one who converted her? It wasn't Paul, it was the Lord, right? Yeah, he spoke the gospel, but God opened her heart. And after she was baptized in her house as well, she urged us saying, if you have judged me to be faithful, Lord, come to my house and stay. And she prevailed among us. So you got this brand new convert, businesswoman, power suit. And here's what I love, all right? Her house becomes the kind of the core place of the church in Philippi. In fact, historians think that the church in Philippi actually met in this lady's house. So when you hear the letter to the Philippians, guess where it's going? It's going to her house. And, and here, this leads to the next principle. This is how we call my name. This is how we get in the game. There's this mentality in the church, you gotta be Superman Christian and have all these things. Mm-mm. We need to be like MacGyver. All right, remember, this is what I call the MacGyver principle, right? If you've seen MacGyver, this is a show again from the 80s, 90s. There's this guy, and he was a genius, and he could take like normal stuff, like a pine cone and a ball of yarn, and he would make it into like a missile, all right, somehow, and it would be physically possible, and he would do it. And he would just do it with normal stuff and do great things with normal stuff. It's MacGyver. Right? You, can, you can get on Netflix and watch him, probably. But here's the principle for us, is that you don't have to be Superman, Superwoman. Is that you just look around at the stuff that God has given you, and you just use that for the kingdom. Utilize what you have. Just be a Christian MacGyver. Right? And so Lydia's like, well, I'm a seller of purple. Paul, I can make you a new outfit. But you don't look good in purple. So how about this? I got a house. Just use my house. I, I, I can't make you clothes, but I can give you a house. Use my house. And so they use her house. It's a MacGyver. Just use what she has. You don't have to be a superstar. You got five loaves and two fish? Okay, give them to God. Let him see what he does with it. Maybe he feeds a thousand. Maybe he feeds five people. But you're using what you got. I mean, you got a house? You want to host a community group? Good. Great. You want to have a car? You want to give a college kid a ride or somebody else? I mean, it's, it's not, you don't have to be radical. Woo! That's why we love the flash. No. Just use what you have. Right? That's it. And, and just kind of three thoughts here. Number one, you can do stuff and it doesn't have to be CBC. In fact, we'd encourage you to do that. We got enough to take care of with just what we got here. You want to go start a Bible study over here or go start a little club over here or go give a ride to this or go volunteer at a pregnancy center? You have at it. You need some encouragement and some direction, we'll give it to you. But it doesn't have to be a CBC-sanctioned event for you to do it. Go do it. You got gifts. You got abilities. Go do it. Get some people and be passionate and go do something. You want to go sew names for Jesus or monogram for Jesus? Whatever. Whatever you're passionate about, whatever you're good at, go do it. It doesn't have to be a church thing. It's going to be you as a representative of him. Here's a second thought. Don't compare yourself to what everyone else is doing, especially y'all ladies. Right, and I don't say it to guys, because guys don't typically do this. We do a little bit, but if a guy's like, this guy's over here doing something, we're like, I don't care. I'm on the couch. I'm fine. He can do that. But ladies, what y'all see is like, and it's because of Instagram and all these things, and you hear, oh, so-and-so's doing that, 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 and there's pictures of this, and, and you know, what I'm looking for out of some of y'all is start taking pictures Instagram, and put them on Instagram of like you when you wake up in the morning. Because all I see is like the, the clean minivan, the clean house, and the kids are all happy. And I know that ain't true. <laughs> so take a picture when you wake up and your eye is all like over here. And, you're, and you haven't had your coffee yet. Put that on Instagram. How many likes are you going to get on that? That way everyone feels good about themselves. The idea, we're always thinking about what everyone else is doing. I got to do that. No, you don't. 
Do what God's called you to do. Be where God's called you to be. Don't go outside of that realm. Just be where that is. Don't feel pressure. Say no. Right? Don't compare. And then, again, I can't emphasize it enough. Christianity is lived out in the simple places of life. There's a few maybe grandioso moments, but most of it is wake up, do what God's called me to do, love the people in my life, take the kids to soccer, go to work, sit in a cubicle. We have this mentality we all have to be Billy Graham. You don't. There's only one Apostle Paul. One. Most Christians live in obscurity. That's the way it is, just living their lives for Christ. So don't try to go out and be, you know, something you're not. Be what you are. Be what God's created you to be. Do what he's created you to do. Be a doctor, be a lawyer, be a pastor, whatever. But do it. Be an artist, a singer, but just do it in the simplicity of life. I'm telling you, you'll see God work if you just, with open hands. This is my stuff. Here's my house. Here's my car. Here's my whatever. It's yours. I'll do with it what you want. You'll see him use it. Couple loaves, couple fish. God feeds it. Feeds the multitudes, right? Just calling his name, broken people in a context, praying and utilizing their gifts. So they're on the way to the Bethmore study here, verse 16. And something really weird happens. It's kind of a weird story, and I love it, because I always love weird. But as we were going to the place of prayer, we were met by a slave girl who had a spirit of divination and brought her owners much gain by fortune telling. There's this demon-possessed gal. She's making her, her owners, her kind of spiritual pimps, a bunch of money because she's got legitimate demonic power, kind of telling the future and all these little things. And she is, for some reason, following Paul and crying out, these men are servants of the Most High God who proclaim to you the way of salvation. So Paul's just going down to the Bethmore study, and this lady's like, woo, servants of God. And, and just, woo, they're going to tell you how to get to heaven. And woo, everybody, look at these guys. Woo, aren't they great? And just, and it's not good. It's not encouraging. It's not helpful. It's distracting. I don't even know what it is. It's kind of weird. But eventually, she keeps doing this day after day after day. And Paul is just, I love it. He's annoyed. He's like, enough, woman. And he turns and said to the spirit, I command you in the name of Jesus Christ to come out of her. And it came out of her that very hour. Right? He casts out the demon. And, and it doesn't say anything about this gal, but here's what's interesting. Jesus says when a demon is cast out of a person, that person better get right with God because if not, that demon will go and get six or seven other demons and it'll be a worse situation. My gut tells me this girl got saved. Can't prove it. We'll find out when we get to heaven. But if she did get saved, and I think she did, you know, who are the first two people in the Philippian church? Business power suit girl, and a girl with a past, a girl with, who was pimped out by a bunch of guys. Put those two in a room, and now you're at your church, and you're going to see a Philippian jailer, a Roman guy in a few minutes. That's a church. That reminds me of CBC. Not because y'all are demon-possessed or anything. <laughs> Some of y'all may be. I don't know. But it's just a bunch of people with pasts and issues and power suits and this put together, thrown together. Isn't it great? And it reminds me that the person that you least likely think is going to become a Christian, a demon-possessed slave girl, is the one who does. That's good stuff, right? But they get mad. You'd think they'd be happy. They get mad. They say they're mad because they took their money away. They couch it in verse 21. No, they don't advocate customs that are lawful for us as Romans. Had nothing to do with customs. Has everything to do with money. Because when you attack someone's idol, they get mad. Right? And they, they get all political on you. Oh, this is, a, this is like the issue of pornography in our country. Oh, it's a First Amendment issue. No, it's not. It has everything to do with money. It is a billion dollar a year industry. Nothing to do with the Constitution. Everything to do with money. And so, oh, it's a political issue. It's not. It's a money issue. And we'll come to this in a couple weeks too. But they're mad because they took their idol away, their money away. And so they beat them. And they, and they throw them in jail. They, when they had inflicted many blows upon them, they threw them into prison, ordering the jailer to keep them safely. And having received this order, he put them into the inner prison and fastened their feet in stocks. The, he puts them in the inner prison. That's like the basement of the prison. All the excrement and nasty stuff rolls downhill, and they're in stocks, and they're locked in the contorted positions with you know, junk up to their ankles. And Silas is like, is this why Mark left? Because this is why I get it now. <laughs> right? <laughs> But they're just there in this nastiness with a beaten, broken, bruised back. Right? That's, 
But here, here's, here's what we know and no one else knows at this point. You want to bring chaos to your life? Lock up an apostle. <laughs> you want something bad to happen? Put an apostle in jail because something bad always happens. And sure enough, it's going to happen. But here's what I love, verse 25. At midnight, why they're awake, why they're not asleep and crashing, I don't know. But Paul and Silas are praying and singing hymns, and the prisoners were listening. Now, I don't know what this looked like, but I have my imagination. And I'm thinking, okay, who's, they're singing parts, right? They're singing, you know, you are holy, you are holy, you are mine, you are prince of... I mean, you know, they're doing something. They got to be, Right? Okay, probably not, but but the idea that they would be worshiping in that context, it blows me away. I don't know how, I've never been in that kind of deal, but I know this, when you give your life away, you gain it. And when you try to keep your life, Jesus says you lose it, and there must be some grace that just God enables them to be worshiping, and everyone's listening to them, and then the earthquake happens Suddenly there was a great earthquake, so the foundations of the prison were shaking immediately. All the doors are open, and everyone's bonds were unfastened. And in my Bible, the next verse says, and then Bill Fowler ran like Usain Bolt out of there <laughs> because God had delivered, right? I'm thinking, whoa, look, God, God let me out. But that's not what happened. When the jailer woke and saw that the prison doors were open, he drew his sword. He was about to kill himself because they're going to kill him anyway. But Paul cried out with a loud voice, don't harm yourself, for we're all here. Jailer called for lights, rushed in, trembling with fear, fell down before Paul and Silas. And one of the most famous verses in the scripture, sirs, what must I do to be saved? And Paul says, believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and you'll be saved. But here's the question I have. I got lots of questions. But what is it about this Paul and, and Silas, that this guy would come in and ask a question. I don't even know if he understands what he's asking. What must I do to be saved? I mean, how do you even ask that question? What's the difference maker here? One thing. It's the way Paul and Silas live their life. They've been beaten. They're worshiping. They're in pain. They have joy. They could have run. They stay put. Why? Because when Peter gets out of jail, the angel's like, get up, nimkampoof, wake up, get out of here. And the other apostles go, go stand in the place. What happens if Paul and Barnabas say, hey, look, God delivered, and they walk out of this jail? This jailer kills himself and goes to hell. He spends a Christless eternity, doesn't he? I think Paul and Barnabas are so in tune with what God is doing, and they, they, they consider others as more important than himself that they stay. And this guy comes in. And here's the point. Recognize that your life is a powerful tool. When calling my name, getting in the story, recognize your, your story is a powerful story. Your life is a platform. People are watching. And if you think they're not, you're crazy. The way you spend your money, the way you act when you're watching your eight-year-old play soccer and you're treating it like the World Cup and it's not, the way you speak to your kids' teachers, the way you speak to your parents, the way you dress with modesty, the way you worship, the way you either look at the girl running or don't look at the girl running, the movies that you'll, that you'll choose to watch, the, all these things, people are watching. And, ex, and especially a, a megaphone for the gospel is when you have your back whooped up and you're still singing, when you're up to your knees in excrement and you still have hope. And to a hopeless world, there's something about that. When there's a cancer report, when there's a loss of a parent, when there's a kid that's doing this, when there's a loss of a job and you can still have joy, it's a megaphone to the world that you believe in something greater than this. And this guy says, what must I do to be saved? And, and here's what I love. It, High school kids, middle school kids, you need to understand even your life is so, so powerful. Do you know where probably 25% of our growth as a church comes from? You'd be shocked, some of you. A high school kid gets saved, one of our events, one of our small groups, the gathering, whatever. His life changes, her life changes. The parents are like, who is this child? 
I don't know, it looks like your mother, but I, I don't, I've never seen him before. And they end up coming to church because the kid becomes a Christian. We have seen it. I'm telling you, we have seen it so many times in this church. Unbelievable. Or they're in a church that's not preaching the gospel anymore. This kid's excited about Jesus. The parent comes over because this kid's excited about Jesus, and I don't know what's going on here. I'm telling you, I've seen it a thousand times in this church. It's a powerful thing of life. You need to recognize it, right? Calling my name. And, and here's the last thing. You're thinking, well, and I got I to gotta hurry because we got to go roll. So let me, let me bolt through these things so I'm not overlapping. Some of you are like, well, I don't know what to say to someone. What do I even tell someone if I do have an open door? And sometimes you're not. And don't go busting doors open that aren't open. When God opens a door, you, you, you go. But you don't have to bust it open. He'll open it for you. But if there is an opportunity, and I've never had someone come down and say, sirs, what must I do to be saved? Just let me know. And I'm a pastor. Okay? So, but there might be questions that lead into, here, here's one of two things you can do. Number one, just tell them your story. This is what my life was before Christ. This is how I came to Christ. And this is what my life is now. And don't kind of be like, oh, I don't ever sin, and me and my wife have the perfect marriage, and the dog never disobey. Don't, don't give them that, okay? Tell them the truth. I'm still a sinner, but my sin is paid for. You can do that, or you can be as simple as Paul and say, believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, and you'll be saved. All right? There's no five spiritual laws there. There's no, like, you know, that's pretty simplistic. And, and here's my encouragement to you. Just keep it simple. Don't start arguing about the historical Adam, if you're a premillennial, if you're an evolutionist, that, that stuff is insignificant to a person that doesn't know Jesus. Keep it simple. Three things. Sin, substitute, simple faith. They're all in this verse. Sin, the fact that you have to be saved, you're saved from what? From your sins, from the penalty of sin. The wages of sin is death, right? And most people, if they're honest, they don't have any problem with sin. They, they realize, yeah, I've broken the Ten Commandments. I don't even know them, right? Substitute, the Lord Jesus. And you don't have to have the doctrine of the incarnation and all these things. Jesus left heaven, became a man, died on a cross in your place for your sins and rose again. Don't forget the resurrection, right? He's your substitute. He took your place. He took your penalty and then simple faith. If you believe in him, not about him, if you put your faith in him, you can have eternal life. And you can use John 3.16, God so loved the world. Ephesians 2, 8, 9, it's by grace through faith. It's the gift. It's not a result of works. 1 Corinthians 15, Christ died according to the scriptures and rose again. He appeared to 500. You can use all these simplistic verses. Romans 6.23, the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. They're all simplistic. They're all straightforward. And it doesn't have to be some miraculous, I just defended the doctrine of tulip and trinity and all these things in one thing. Just the simplicity, because it's not about you. You can't convince them anyway. God has opened the door. God opens the heart. You just open your mouth. And you'd be amazed that even if the most simple, simple presentation that the guys opened that guy's heart, boom, because it's a God thing. This is, this is the comfort for me for the Reformed faith. It's not about me. I just open my mouth and I let God do the rest. I just trust in the providence of God, the sovereignty of God, and I trust in the power of the Holy Spirit, and boom, he's the one that converts, not me. I can't do it anyway, right? And so keep it simple. And if they have questions and you don't know, don't make something up. All right? Don't be like, well, I think it's this, and it's completely not. Just say, I don't know, but I'll go find out, and I'll come tell you. But why don't you come to church with me? I'll pick you up. Simple. Right? And, and if they, again, if you just don't know, you go research it, and you, and, and you grow. And so this guy believes. And notice he is baptized. They spoke the word to him and everyone in the house. It took him the same hour. He washes Paul and Barnabas' wounds, and then they turn around and they dunk him. And they baptize him in the same water, probably. Him and his family. And, and again, we're going to get into this in a couple weeks, but let me just highlight again as we close the order. He believes, and then they are baptized. Every time you've seen it so far. And this passage is sometimes used to validate infant baptism. Show me an infant, because I don't see one. I see household, but household could be 18-year-old. Household could be 38-year-old. Household could be servant. Right? There's, it could be the Labrador for all I know. I don't know. The point is, they all heard the word, verse 32, and then they were baptized. Those who had heard, there's an implication that they all believed, right? They could have been 18 or they could have been eight, but you, this is not a validation. You have to go somewhere else if you're going to look for infant baptism because this isn't it. 
And here's the thing for us. I know some of y'all, you're holding off. You're like, well, I'm 56 years old, and I'm, I'm not getting down in front of those people and getting baptized. And look, I, I understand. I get it. It's hard. But I, you can't be ashamed of Jesus. It's not here. I mean, if you're afraid of Jesus, he said, I'll be ashamed of you in front of the Father. It, it's it's it, I mean, a little bit humbling, but you know, it's not like we're here and we're like, oh, it's so hard. We celebrate at this place, y'all. We put, give you a t-shirt and we cheer. And this is the easiest place to celebrate Jesus. This is the easiest place to not be ashamed because all of us love him. And so I challenge you. And if you have questions about baptism, you're like, I still don't get it. I don't understand. What about this? What about that? Look, let's go to lunch. Call me up. Call the church up. One of the pastors, let's go eat some barberitos, eat some queso, and talk about baptism. We'd love it. All of us. I mean, that'd be a great day for us. Because we, we, we just want you to be obedient to the scripture. We want to help you in your process of discipleship. But what we really want is every single one of us recognizing that you're in the story. Yes, you're broken. Yep, establish it. That's why there's grace. But so what? We're all broken. In your context, praying, using your gifts, keeping it simple, living your life. That's what we're asking our folks to do. And if you're here today and you're not a Christian, let me just tell you this. Believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, that he died for your sins, that he rose again, that you can have eternal life only in him, not by getting baptized, not by coming to church, not by being a good person, believing in what he has done as your substitute. That is, then you can have eternal life. And if you have questions about that, come home and talk to me. Love to talk with you. But we're going to worship and we're going to sing. And then we're going to send a couple of our folks on the mission field um, today. And so... Um, I'll ask the team to come up. I think I made it in time. I hope we are. Anyway, just inviting everyone to get involved in the adventure that God has us for us as Acts chapter 372. That's what we want, right? So let me pray. And as we do, I'm just going to ask just from the first couple minutes that you would pray. We'll start with point three. In your seat, spend a few moments maybe praying for that person, your spouse, your kids, your boss that God would open doors for you, and then when you're ready, that you would stand up and you'd worship with us. But spend some time in prayer. Talk to God about man before we talk to man about God, and then we'll worship. Lord, as we sing, as we send off two families, as we worship you, I just ask that you would be glorified here in this church. We are broken as much as anybody, if not more, and that's the beauty of the gospel, that you heal broken people. And so as we sing it, as we rejoice in it, uh, be glorified this morning. Thank you for this church and the lives you've changed through the gospel. It's in your name we pray. Amen.